Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, you are tuned in to another episode of the Aptivate podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tommy, with the Remerge team. The unfortunate thing today is this is a podcast that we had tried to record in August or so, something like that, of 2019. And due to audio difficulties, we're back today and we're trying to do it again. So hopefully we can recapture the magic. But in any case, I have an absolutely fantastic person joining me today, someone who has a ton of experience, awesome insights, Jessica Bichigo, who is the Director of Performance Marketing at Blinkist. Jessica, thanks so much for joining. For the second time, how are you? Thank you so much. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really glad to be back. To be honest, even better because I have even more to share now. So, you know, maybe it's even better. <laughs> you got more to share. You have a well-acclimated dog for those who obviously are unfamiliar. The first time we tried, Jessica had just gotten a new dog who was on the other end of the line crying quite a bit. And that, in conjunction with connection difficulties, my microphone was acting up. It was just a perfect storm of all the things you don't want to happen during a podcast happening at once. So today, hopefully we'll have a nice environment and we'll be able to knock out some cool insights. But again, Jessica, thank you so much. As we always start these podcasts, would love for you to take a couple minutes, tell us who you are, where you work and what you've worked on, what your expertise looks like. Any of that information would be super helpful as a starting point. Of course, happy to do it. So I actually started computer science. So I started my career a little bit far away from marketing, I would say. But I realized soon enough that my passion was marketing. I come from Italy and I actually started by working in different agencies in Italy, mainly on social media marketing, media advertising, account management, and so on and so forth. And then at some point I thought, well, I was not really using all the technical knowledge that I have. So I thought, okay, I need to challenge myself. And I decided to move outside of Italy. I came to Berlin and I joined Kayak as a programmatic marketing manager. And I stayed there for a couple of years. It was a really great experience because it taught me so much about data, about also programming, but for marketing, programmatic advertising, a lot of things. And in general, you know, like managing a project from the beginning till the end. But then Kayak is a pretty big corporation and I was really missing the startup vibe. And so that's why I actually I decided to join Blinkist four years ago. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's me. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you about Blinkist in a second, but obviously having the computer science background is different than what we normally hear on the podcast, right? So did you find that that computer science background has really helped you in a number of ways? And if so, like what are some of the ways that it's, it's really been beneficial for you in your career? Actually, like, it's so strange because when I was in Italy, nobody could care, like, nobody cares about this degree. They thought it was like, I don't know, something like anything else. And they couldn't really see the potential of this, especially applied to marketing. But when I came to Berlin, oh my God, it was a completely different story. People were blown away from the fact that I had this technical background. And I can say that I really owe to that my entire career. Because the thing is that, I mean, there are so many people that work in marketing, but you know it's like we are moving into a direction where everything is automating, where the data, having like reliable data is the most important thing, especially when you talk about performance marketing. And so right now to have someone that understands and can manipulate data and maybe do be super independent is really amazing. So it helped me so much. You have no idea. 
And so you find at the end of the day that you are applying that background in your day-to-day job as a performance marketing manager? Absolutely. But only when I arrived here in Berlin. I think when I was in, in Italy, although I was, yeah, I was managing media, but I think I was working mainly for agencies. So I didn't have access to all the infrastructure of data company. But I think when I came here that I really started to use that. And for example, I started databases, SQL, Python, and I used it, especially when I, in my first job in Berlin, I was developing dashboard, I was doing data analysis. So I was using it every day. And even now, like, I use it all the time. We collaborate a lot with the BI team as well. So it's really nice just to be able to talk the same language. Totally makes sense. So you find you're working hand in hand with your BI, but let's take a step back then, right? So you're director of performance marketing at Blinkist. For those who are not familiar with Blinkist, would you mind taking a few seconds to like tell us what it is the app does and kind of what you focus on? Of course. So Blinkist is a mobile app that takes all the best no-fiction books out there and creates a 15-minute version that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. The idea and I, the reason why this app was created was exactly to solve this problem like having no time to read so many books that you want to read in your free time. The idea is that Blinkist give you kind of an appetizer of all these books and help you to understand which books are the right one for you so that you can feed them and you can learn more into your busy schedule. And I think that the main characteristic for us is the audio feature. That's for us really important because, I mean, we spend so much time in commuting or like, I don't know, cooking and exercising and so on. And it's really nice that like at the same time we are doing something else, you can also learn about amazing things yeah, related to productivity, business, mindfulness, history, and so on and so forth. It sounds like we used to use Cliff Notes, which I imagine you might be familiar with, but it's not like that. But that's like in college when I didn't read the book I was supposed to read, I would get the Cliff Notes version and try to meander my way through tests and then ultimately get poor grades for not actually reading them. But I love this application, right? It's hey, you can get the general idea of a longer book in some like 15 minutes and you can use it on your way to work. And then if someone really has interest, they can go and buy the book after the fact, correct? Exactly. It's really interesting. Like the click notes is something that people mention. It's not something that we have in Europe. So it's like a typical US thing product. So at the beginning, I was like, what is click notes? But yeah, it's definitely like something that they mentioned, although it's a little bit different in the sense that Blink is, is a discovery tool. So they, like, to help you understand which books are for you in general and understand, yeah, which one will give you more insights. Although I have to say that the use cases can differ because, for example, for me, my problem is that I have a really, really bad memory. So I use it to go back to my favorite books when I don't remember the key insights. Ah, interesting. So is the idea with Blinkist to help people find books to read or is it to give them enough information so they don't have to read the book? The idea is like to be a discovery tool. So it's really like to support them to find which kind of books they want to read next. And the idea is like to you know, skim through like all your long lists so that you can find the best one for you. And also, to be honest, to kick people to go a little bit outside of the box because I think we tend to stay in this bubble where we just read the same kind of books over and over again. For example, as you can imagine, I'm super into like business management. But the nice thing is that we can propose different kind of yeah, topics like mindfulness, like being healthy, like fitness and so on. So also, maybe normally you would never read these kind of books, but the idea is like we give you a hint in order to explore new categories around the world. It's amazing. I love it. 
I mean, everyone needs to read more. It's such an important life kind of hobby and skill to have, right? To be interested and to, and to be reading. All right. So you at Blinkist, and thanks again for the synopsis, you are the director of performance marketing. So I'm going to imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that entails that you, to some capacity, manage a group of people who are focused on driving installs, driving retention, all that. Could you tell us a little bit about kind of how your team is formatted, what you kind of focus on in that role? So maybe I can give you also a little bit of a history of myself at Blinkist because it's been four years, such a long time. So when I joined Blinkist, I was hired to lead the performance marketing team that at the time was just me. <laughs> so pretty small. But since then, we grew a lot. So at the beginning, I remember they were just advertising for acquisition in one channel. And I think my first two goals were like first one to, to scale this channel that was Facebook. And the second one was to really find more channels because the idea is like you don't want to depend just in one channel you want to create a nice marketing mix and i guess it worked because right now we are a team of 11 people across a lot of different channels and what we do we are responsible for growing our customer and revenue base sustainably so the idea is like of course being performance oriented having a specific roi goal or cost per acquired customer we mainly focus on acquisition but of course we run also some retention and re-engagement campaigns as well and we are really distributed across a lot of different channels when it comes to the structure so right now we created a kind of a structure by channel so we have four different teams inside performance marketing so the, the more famous one <laughs> are, of course, paid social, where we have all the social platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and so on and so forth. Then we have paid content. Paid content is pretty peculiar for us because it's not just part of display. It's, not, it's like a, a team that is focusing on native advertising and outbrain and tabula. So all this traffic where you lead people to go to a magazine article, like, like a post, and then you lead them to download the app. That is a little bit of a longer a longer funnel ad because yeah you need to have a long read that they can read it's actually working particularly well for us i've heard that's the payoff with outbrand tabula right is that because the audience has to read an article or has to consume some degree of content it almost pre-qualifies them right if they go through the act of, of reading that whole article or, or getting interested to that degree the quality of the install you can expect after that is probably going to be pretty high have you had the same experience yeah, actually what we see is that in general, the people that like we acquire through paid content, they have a higher LTV because they stay with us like for a longer time. And in general, they have a better understanding of the product because of course they read an entire article. I mean, the article is not just about us. It's like an interesting piece of content. There's also an explanation about Blinkit and how it works. So it's really, really good to pre-qualify your audience, as you said. And the nice thing also is that you pay by click and not by impression. So by selecting a specific title and image, you can kind of pre-qualify your audience so that you make sure that you just pay for the people that are really interesting in your product. That's super interesting. So I understand you have a paid content team that manages that. Does that mean that on top of the media buying on Taboola and Outbrain, they're also managing the actual creation of content for those platforms? Exactly. And because the thing is that we also have a separate content team in brand marketing, but to write for performance and to write for brand are two completely different things. So we cooperate with them and of course they review everything that we write but it's just a different style of writing. So usually either we develop them internally 
this article or we work with external freelancers they help us to put together the article but we do there's to be honest for every article there's so much work on the research side like you have no idea it takes really a lot of time to find the perfect article even when we found it we have to like do small changes and A-B testing to really take it to the step where we can spend a lot of money on it. That's super interesting. I mean, the article process must be really challenging, right? Because you have to essentially sell, educate, and compel someone all at once, right? In like maybe less than 500 words, probably way less than 500 words, whatever the case may be. That is a challenge. And then I can tell you the other two, the other two teams. Then we have search and display. So easy peasy. It's about Google search, but also display with Google. So UAC. And we also do a little bit of programmatic and affiliate marketing. And then we have the offline team, or actually we call it the untrackable because we have TV, radio, podcast, and influencer marketing inside this team. So we really collect everything that is not like so easy to track through a just a click, for example. So you have a whole team that does some work basically called untrackable, right? Do you find it challenging to compare the success of the offline team with the success or the result? I should just say results, with the results from search, display, paid content, and social? Yeah, I have to say that they are like two completely different beasts. So what we're doing right now, it also depends. I mean, in the offline world, I would say the TV is probably the hardest to track. Well, for example, podcasts and influencer marketing, I think we have a pretty good setup at the moment. But I think TV, especially if you don't spend millions, it's pretty hard to understand what is the real effect of TV. And this is something that we're still in the process. We started to spend on TV around one year and a half ago, I think, yeah. And I think we do a mix of like normal media buying on TV, but also sponsorship of specific, not serious, but like specific channels, for example. It is a bit challenging. So we always need to have a look at the organic share to make sure that it has an impact over there. When it comes to podcasts and influencers, it's a bit easier because what we do is that we offer a special discount through a landing page. And so we know that people could go through the landing page. They definitely come from this podcast. And we also, what we do is like, if, for example, let's say that you sign up to a different channel, but then after two, actually, let's say that you listen to a podcast. And then you say, okay, that's cool. But then you go directly to the store, you download the app. And then you're like, okay, I remember that there was a code. So you go back and you go to the landing page to retrieve your voucher. We reattribute you to that podcast. Yeah, you always need to do these kind of tricks because, you know, you never know people are maybe, you know, going around or traveling and maybe they just don't remember. But when they realize that they're interested in the product, that's when maybe they go back and they use the voucher. 100%. All right. So that makes sense for podcasts. For TV. TV is very foreign to me, right? I haven't done anything in it. But how do you justify spending in TV if it's so difficult to track it? Is it just you see, you know, people are watching TV, so you have to invest somewhat in it? Is it a leap of faith or is there just enough tracking that allows you to justify doing it in general? I think that there is enough tracking to understand at least what is the more or less the input like you can't track on a user base level and i think this was for me the hardest thing to understand i'm used to say this user came from that campaign that's it that's how the word works and so i think when it comes to tv you forget about it like sometimes you can do it what we have is like a survey where we ask people what they heard about us and of course some of them they put tv but you also have to understand that this, there's a narrow margin on this because people just answer randomly because they don't remember and so on and so a user base attribution is not possible 
But there are ways to understand if your TV campaigns are successful or not. So, for example, we use a tool called TV Squared, especially for optimization. It has all the lists of when did the on-air spot, so when the TV spot went live and which channel. And they actually attribute the uplift for installs eight minutes after the TV spot went live. So that one is really useful to understand the immediate effect of TV. What is the issue? The, you can't see the long-term effect of TV. And what we see is that TV is really helpful for building a brand. TV makes other channels successful. For example, it can be that maybe you run TV and suddenly your Facebook campaigns are better. If you can acquire people for a much better cost per acquire customer. So I think that when it comes to TV, you really need to have a broader look. You really need to look at everything together. And I would say that the best way to look at it is that if you look at the entire spend that you have in marketing, and if you look at all the customers that are coming in, paid and organic, and you see that you are achieving your goals, then you're happy. If you see that, for example, something is off, then you have to dig deeper and understand, is it TV or is it something else? That's where it becomes a little bit more complicated. Yeah. And that's why you guys have broken down teams into each of these four sections, right? So at a macro level, you as director of performance marketing can say, hey, we're in a good place or a bad place overall. And then you have teams digging into the data within each of these channels separately in order to continue to provide that extra level of detail. And I don't know why I said detail like that. But in any case, that totally makes sense. Also, like something to add maybe is like sometimes, like I'm a really data-driven, performance-oriented person. But I have to say that sometimes you have to believe and go with a gut feeling. And also you need to think about the future and strategize. For example, paid content for us, for the first eight months, it was just horrible. We were burning so much money. It was insane. It took us eight months to make it profitable. But one is, and now it's one of our most successful channels. So sometimes you also need to invest and think about the future. For example, I think if we really want to you know, blink it, known everywhere. We need to tap into TV and we need to do it now so that we can learn how it is done. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I love that that viewpoint that some of this is just, you should, as a marketer, let your intuition take the wheel at, at times, right? Even if the data suggests, hey, TV was super ROI negative for us in these last two weeks, you as a marketer know that people are watching TV and having your brand on TV helps elevate the brand overall. And in the long run, what will lead to hopefully more growth? At least that's what I think you're saying. Yeah. I mean, not all the time, but I mean, well, like if you look deeper, you're going to be able to find the justification for that. You're going to be able to find it. It could also be that your brand is simply not for TV. And then, I mean, that's okay. (laughs) Totally. Now, speaking of brands, one of the things that you brought up a few times was how TV and two different occasions, we talked about content earlier and how the branding team writes different content than your performance team. Right. And then we talked about TV and we talked about how TV impacts your performance metrics, but it also helps elevate the Blinkist brand in general. It sounds like you guys look at marketing with two different teams, right? That's brand marketing and performance marketing. Could you tell me a little bit about how you interact, if you do interact at all, and how you guys help each other improve over time? Yeah, I think we work really a lot with our brand marketing team, really, really a lot. And if I think we made, I think right now it's completely different from what it was four years ago. Four years ago, we were two separate teams working on their own things, like completely independent. And through the years, we started to be closer and closer. And we started to realize that we really depend on each other. Like we need to complement each other. And also we have completely different skills. So what happened is that at some point we created what we call brand formants. This is kind of the union of these two words. And then we really cooperate on 
so many things. So for example, when it comes to, I mean, our messaging, of course, it always comes from brand. When it comes to our creatives, if they're video, they come from brands, yeah, from brand marketing. If they are creative, they are static, they come from the design team. But also, for example, when it comes to brand awareness tracking, we always cooperate with them and try to understand the effect that our channels they have on brand awareness and so on. And I think as an example, the latest example is that we were facing kind of a, I don't want to say an emergency, this sounds maybe too much, but we were in November, we were preparing for 2020 and we started to look at, okay, what can we do to improve? We wanted to spend more, we want to be more profitable. How can we do it? And we started, you know, at point to different things, actually met with a lot of companies that did kind of an audit to understand, okay, what also others are doing. And I realized that our main bottleneck was the creative side. So the problem is that we were really not able to, first of all, to come up with like new successful creatives at a pace that will help us to grow. And we also know that, you know, creatives make 50% of the job, especially in display and paid social. And at the same time, also, we were just talking different languages. Like the brand team and the design team, they wanted to do creatives on brand and we wanted successful creatives. So we wanted to spend money on them and we wanted the campaign to be profitable. So what we did is that we created kind of a, squad like a mission group we put together people from design people from brand people from performance marketing and they completely like i say we but actually they did it <laughs> like i should not take credit they really recreated the entire process and right now first of all they all speak the same language and they all have the same goal before the goal of performance marketing was to find successful creatives and then the goal from the brand team and design team was to produce new creatives and you already see there's a misalignment. We don't need a lot of creatives. We just need winning creatives. Now we make this the share accountability of all these teams that are involved. And it's just insane how much changed in just four months. Like I saw a presentation from all the people involved the other day. And we went, first of all, from producing eight video a month to like 33 video per month. That's insane. With the same people. But also the quality, the new ideas, is just insane. So I can really recommend to everyone out there, like if you have a brand and a performance team, put them together in the same room. Make sure that they talk the same language. Make sure that they work on the projects together. That's an insane amount of videos. You said how many again? 33 in a month? 33, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I look at an app like yours. It's a subscription-based app that is focused on improving lifestyle or improving life choices for people, right? So I'd imagine that come January, come the beginning of any new year, you guys see a huge bump, right? How does that impact that creative process? And it sounds like you guys in November made this new kind of strategy, right? Or this new alignment. Was the oncoming new year a big reason for why you guys went about creating this new team? Did you guys look to January and say, wow, we know we're going to see a spike, then we got to be aligned and we got to have a good creative strategy? That's exactly what happened. January, I mean, if you look around, you'll see that in January, it's always about like new year, new you, how can you be better, invest in yourself and so on. So it's a month where people really love to invest in like to become a better version of themselves. And that's exactly what Blinkist does. Like it helps you to like have a broader horizon to learn more and so on, to be smarter and so on. So it makes sense that for us is the, the best month. And what I can see is like in general, although there are so many companies advertising in January, so in theory, it should be much more expensive. It's actually cheaper for us or for our customer during this period of time because people are just more reactive 
to these ads. And of course, like if we look at the distribution of the budget, like there's a certain like amount that goes to January. So what I would say is that if January goes well, you know that the year is just a little bit easier. It just makes everything a little bit easier. While if January goes bad, it's going to be a tough year. So for us, it's really, really important that we go into January that is like our higher budget for the entire year, knowing that we had everything is ready to support this like incredible growth. And so that's why we started, actually we started in September to start thinking about, okay, what can we do next year? What do we need to have done? I mean, we just learn from our mistakes because I think in the past, for example, I think even last year, we arrived in January and then we were like, oh gosh, like we're so not ready. We don't have articles. We don't have creators. Oh my God, what are we going to do? And so we really started super early by analyzing our own data, talking with our companies out there and understanding that, yeah, creative was a bottleneck and we needed to be ready. So in November was the moment where we started to pitch this idea of like, okay, maybe we should change uh, the process. And it started, I think, yeah, late November, the beginning of December. And already we can see the results right away. So that's insane. And this is applied not only to the creatives, but also to a lot of other projects. For example, we realized that the second most important thing is definitely data. And we had a huge issue with data. There was a lot of legacy thing in the system. So we decided to just do you know, kind of a spring cleaning, but in December and have like a really fresh start in December with more reliable and a better structure for data. So the general idea or one of the, broad themes I'm getting from you here is just being proactive. Like as a marketer, it's incredibly important that you're forward thinking. Obviously everyone knows that, right? That's intuitive, but actually putting things in place before the time comes when you wish you had it in place, right? So in your case, this was putting a better alignment in place. This was spring cleaning of the apps to get rid of data platforms that weren't used for, were kind of bogging you guys down and and making your data cleaner was a big goal of yours. So that totally makes sense. One of the questions I have around the creative component of this, right? So We talk about new year, new me. That's a very, very specific message, right? Do you find that the creatives you guys leverage at the beginning of the year, are they the same creatives or does the message stay somewhat similar through the rest of the year? Or do you find that in January and even February, the way you message your consumers is dissimilar from how you message to them and say, whatever, June and July? It's a really good question because at the beginning, I think when I joined, I thought we have to do seasonal creatives. We have to go out in January with a message regarding the new year. And then in August, something that say, oh my God, you still have time. You can still make it, something like this. But I mean, now it's been, yeah, like it's been four years. And I can say that it's, we really don't have seasonal content. So what works at the beginning of the year will actually work the entire year. And so we moved away. We tried a couple of times, even more than that. We tried to have specific content for summer, for winter, for January, for whatever. And it just didn't make sense because we were producing a content that had like a much shorter lifetime and we could not reuse it. So what we do right now instead is that we really focus on completing new concepts beyond seasonality. And then we try to reuse this concept because usually when we find a holy grail, that's how we, how we call the successful creatives, they usually last for a long time, especially if you start maybe iterating with them, changing, creating different versions. So we just focus on content that can last forever. So I'm clear. Let's say you get a holy grail creative concept, right? It's killing it for you guys. It's working so well. What's your next step? Is your next step to take that creative 
and change it a little bit or to leave it as it is and just try to find a brand new concept that can match that kind of performance? Now, usually once we find something that works, we go really deep. <laughs> so we create like, I don't know, 30 even more iterations of the same creative. And seriously, it can last so much time. We have creatives that lasted us almost two years. Can you imagine two years? And maybe they were not the main one, like we were, you know, they were rotating together with other things, but they stay there for a long time. So whenever we see that there's a fatigue, like so that the ass is not like delivering the same results anymore, that's where we start to change. The thing is that we always do together with the process of finding new content. So we make sure that there's always a rotation. Because I think that the problem is like you find a new content, then you just release new version of the same thing, people will perceive it as the same video and that's not really healthy. So we always try to like have a mix between iterations and completing new concepts. Yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, if you have a holy grail and you're iterating against that, yeah, that can help you with performance. But if you have a holy grail, you've already said, all right, this concept performs wonderfully for us, right? So the incremental value you can get out of making small iterations isn't massive, but it's still important, right? So that you guys can make sure that a single ad unit doesn't get too stale. But at the end of the day, it's super important that at the same time, with some level of consistency, you're developing brand new, fresh concepts so that even that holy grail doesn't get stale itself, right? Absolutely. Like you just can't stop. Like you need to keep moving. And especially like in months like January or February, like where you know that you're going to spend a lot, you need to be super fast with the production. And then maybe you can slow down for the rest of the months. Totally makes sense. And all the while, you guys are working closely with your brand team. And for my reference, When you say the performance team is working with the brand team on your end, do you mean all four groups within the performance team are closely aligned with the brand? That means paid social, paid content, display and search and offline. Are they all working together to create this messaging and this creative strategy? Yeah. So right now we, a kind of, I would say. So there are some teams that are more involved than others. For example, I would say, let's take the example of offline. So of course in offline, we work more with them when it comes to like producing a completely new TV spot. That is more like about project-based thing. The same is, for example, when we need brief for podcast ads and so on. But when it comes to paid social, like we need to cooperate with them on a daily basis. We just can't stop. It's not just a product with a begin a project with a beginning and an end. We need to find a process where we can iterate. So I would say that some teams, in particular paid social, are the ones that are working more with them. Also the display team. But I would say that the paid social team right now is acting more like a collector, like a hub for all the requests from the performance team because they need to talk with the brand marketing team every day. So it makes sense that they are the one bringing our messages and be kind of the bridge between all these teams. Totally makes sense. Okay, awesome. Now you've brought up something a couple of times that I haven't touched on and that's podcasts. At Blankets, you're using podcasts to help drive acquisition. We're on a podcast now and I also understand that you host your own podcast. Is that correct? Oh, yes. (laughs) I started, oh my God, one year and a half ago, together with my friend Andy Carville, we started this podcast called Mobile Growth Nightmares. It's pretty cool. Give it a listen. (laughs) (laughs) Andy is a um, ex-SoundCloud guy, right? Ex-SoundCloud, yeah, exactly. You know him. Maybe you have him even in this podcast. Andy and I have never met, but that's a name that I've seen all over the place for quite some years now. So that's cool. So you guys do a podcast that's focused on basically nightmares and horror stories and things that went wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea is like in a lot of like conferences and so on, you tend to hear about the success stories. So things that went well, but let's be honest, like 90% of our job is like 
failure. <laughs> and that's how we learn. Like we learn and then so that we don't make more mistakes like that or that we finally find what we were looking for. So for us, it's really important to like learn from our mistakes, how we can be better and so on. So we ask everyone, okay, tell me one time when you did something really bad and what you learned from that. That's so great. I love it. We go to these conferences and, and we do all these podcasts and it's almost like we create an Instagram version of the reality of our jobs, right? And that's like one where everything looks great and we're always heroes and we're killing it. But you're right. The reality is for everything that goes well, there's definitely a couple of things at least that go very poorly for us all. So I love the idea of that podcast. One more time. Can you remind the listeners what it's called and where they might be able to find it? It's called Mobile Growth Nightmares, and you can find it everywhere. SoundCloud, iTunes, really everywhere. So just look for that. Awesome. Well, I'm going to tune in. Maybe one day you can have me on yours. In any case, we would love to have you back on the Aptivate podcast one day. But at the very least, thank you so much for bearing with us doing yet another episode because the first one went, the first one was essentially a mobile nightmare. But thank you so very much for joining us today, Jessica. It's always a pleasure talking to you and getting your insights. I wish you the best of luck this year. And I hope we can talk at the end of 2020 and get an update for where you guys are at. To all our listeners, again, Jessica Bichago, who is the Director of Performance Marketing at Blinkist. Jessica, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to come back as well. And definitely, I want to interview you. So <laughs> I will have you in my podcast as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jessica. We'll talk soon. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.